You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Good morning. My name is Cheryl, and I am one of the volunteers on the women's team here. And I had the privilege of sharing with you all on a Sunday morning back in July, and I'm very grateful to have been invited back as we continue our series on prayer this morning. And as we get started, I just wanted to acknowledge that many of us in the room are here with heavy hearts. There are a lot of hard things going on in the world right now with the rising death toll in the Middle East, And right here in our own city, as most of you know, um, two students tragically lost their lives in separate incidents just last week. So I want you to know that if you are hurting, there is no better place to be than with the people of God hearing the word of God. We are praying for you and for the world and for the students in our community. And I am so glad that you are here. So as we get started, I also want to talk about something else that's coming on, coming up in less than two weeks. Do we know what this is? It is that time of the year. It is time for Thanksgiving. So many of us are probably planning already and preparing. Um, You may have invited guests. You might even be hosting guests from out of town, or maybe you are going out of town yourself. But whatever you are doing, you will likely sit down early for dinner that night to eat this highly anticipated traditional meal that we all enjoy so much. And you will probably linger at the table that night a little longer than usual because you will also be there with family and friends that um, you treasure. So imagine with me for a moment that this would be your last, you knew for a fact that this would be your last, not just Thanksgiving meal, but the last meal that you would ever have with these treasured people. And the reason that you knew it would be your last meal with them is because you knew that it would be your last meal of your entire life. Your conversation that evening would probably take on a different tone And also your prayer that evening would probably feel a little bit more important, wouldn't it? Have you ever thought about something like this? What would you pray for the people that are closest to you if you knew for a fact that it was going to be the last time that they heard you pray for them? Well, this is in many ways the situation that we see in our text today. We are going to be in John 17 today, and this is the prayer at the end of what is known as Jesus' farewell discourse. This is a very lovely way of saying it was Jesus' last speech, basically. It happened during what we call the Last Supper, and um, this is where, if you will recall, Jesus is having the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. This is where he did some very important things. He instituted the practice of communion that we just did together. He said, do this in remembrance of me. This is also where he called out Judas and said, 
one of you will betray me. This is where he washed the disciples' feet and said, you should go and do likewise. This is also where he promised the Holy Spirit and where he told the disciples that he had, in fact, overcome the world. He had said some extremely important things that night. So at the end of all that he said to them, he prayed to the Father. And it was arguably the most important prayer of his earthly ministry. This prayer is often referred to as the high priestly prayer, or your Bibles might call it the prayer of consecration. Because in this prayer, Jesus is preparing to offer himself as the once-for-all-time living sacrifice for our sins. In fact, he starts the prayer by saying, Father, the hour has come. He knew that this was the time he was destined for. But he is also dedicating not only himself, but also the disciples, and by extension, all future believers, to continue his mission to seek and to save the lost. He prays for several things in this prayer. Um, we are going to talk about a couple of them today. But mostly we are going to camp out on verses 20 through 23. So if you're in your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen, we're going to read that now. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is a prayer of intercession. Most of the prayers that we've been talking about in this series have been prayers of petition, where we ask God for things that we need, like mercy, forgiveness, boldness, and comfort. But here, Jesus is interceding. He's praying on behalf of another. He's praying on behalf of the disciples, but also for all believers in the future who would believe because of their word. So Jesus had already predicted back in John 10. He had told the disciples that there were other sheep not of that fold that needed to be brought in also. He wanted one flock and one shepherd. So he is praying here for something that he had already told the disciples is part of his mission for them. That many would believe through their word. So he is praying for the disciples, but also the future church. The first church in Acts, all the way up to our church today. So this should actually really get our attention, don't you think? That Jesus, the Son of God, prayed to the Father for us during his last free moments on this earth. So we want to pay attention to what he's saying, don't we? And what did he pray for? He prayed that we would all be one. He prayed for unity in the church. So this is something that he had already been very clear about with his disciples, by the way. We read about what he said to them earlier that night in John 13. 
He said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. In fact, he had commanded them to love one another. And he said that was to be the identifying mark of their discipleship to him. So why was Jesus so concerned about unity? Well, he knew their tendencies and he knows ours as well. All we have to do is look at the religious landscape of Jesus' day and we can see what was already going on. There were two primary groups in the Jewish faith at that time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we read about them a lot in the Gospels. They were both Jewish groups, but they could not get along because of two things, politics and religious practices. Does this sound at all familiar to problems we are having in the church today? Okay, these extremely religious groups were so caught up in the way that they thought that the worldly system should work that they literally missed the Messiah when he was standing right in front of their faces. But he also knew how the root of individuality and self-promotion could creep into the hearts of his own disciples who had walked with him for three years as well. So we're going to look more closely at his prayer for unity today and find out exactly what he was saying. First of all, unity is based on the nature of God himself. Jesus is praying that all believers would be one just as the Father and Son are one. Now, can you imagine the Father and Son arguing over politics or religious practices? Of course not. God has a much higher agenda than either of these. The Father and Son work in perfect unison, and together they display the glory of God and reveal His purposes up and against the purposes of the world. They are, in fact, perfectly one. The next thing Jesus says is that unity within the church is a result of our unity with God. Jesus prays that they also may be in us. So if we take a minute and think about just this small phrase, it's pretty astounding. Jesus prays that those who believe in him would be in the Father and in the Son. Just as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. This is truly a miracle. Jake talked about miracles last week and um, brought up the point of, like, do miracles happen today? Well, the answer is definitely yes, because this is a miracle that is happening every day and every one of us if we are believers. So how does this work? How are we actually united to him? Jesus says here that the glory that the Father has given to him, he has given to us. So glory is a word that we see a lot in the Bible and we hear a lot in church, but do we know what it means? I think sometimes it can be confusing. It's a very rich word, actually. It means primarily that we tell of his goodness in praise. We give glory to God when we sing to him or when we tell others what he's like. But that's not the aspect of glory that Jesus is talking about here. He doesn't give us his praise. 
He gives us himself through his Holy Spirit. Here we can think of glory as his Holy Spirit within us reflecting back God's goodness and mercy. Jesus said this to the disciples shortly before this prayer. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So if you are a follower of Jesus, his Holy Spirit is living in you, uniting you with Christ, and also with all other believers. So I have a visual here. You might find it helpful, and you might just not, and that's okay. If you don't like it, you can forget about it after this. Okay, so um, I have a key ring here, and this is not one of those super easy key rings where you just clip your key on and go. This is one of those really hard key rings that I usually ask for help with when you have to squeeze the key in between the two rings and then slide it through. You guys familiar with that kind? I don't know about you, but once I put a key on there, I am never taking it off. (laughs) I could move three times and that old house key would still be on this ring. So for our metaphor, Jesus is the ring. Once you are on the ring, you are firmly attached and you are not going anywhere. But you might notice that you are not the only key on the ring. On your key ring, you might have a house key, you might have a car key, you might have an office key. And together, those are your keys, right? It is one unit. They're your keys. So if you are attached to the key ring, Jesus, you are automatically attached to all the other keys on that ring. The Bible describes this unity as the body of Christ. Once you are united with Christ, you are united with his body, with all other believers. So the next thing that we see in this prayer is that unity is for the the purpose of mission. So once we are united by the Spirit, are we we just to then stay in our Christian circles and forget about the rest of the world? Definitely not. If you have been here for even one week, you know that the purpose of all that we do here is the gospel. Jesus tells us his purpose twice in these two verses alone. In verse 21, he says, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And in verse 23, he tells the Father, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So the reason we are unified is that people will know about Jesus. People will believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that they are loved by God when they see his people united. So your unity and my unity with others, not only in this church, but with believers all around the world, is the way that God has chosen to show what he is like. So how are we doing with this? Is our love for one another compelling a dying world to come to Jesus? Do people want to come into the kingdom because they can see how much God loves us by the way that we love each other? These are very hard questions, but I think we need to keep on asking them. And in this case, I think that sometimes the answer is yes. In this church, one of the things that I love is that our people really do love each other. 
not perfectly, but often very well. I know that I feel loved here. My family feels loved here. I also really value how our church partners with other churches and organizations throughout the valley to care for the poor and the vulnerable. And I personally know people who have been baptized here, at least in part because of the love that they have experienced in this church. Unity is compelling, but the opposite is also true, isn't it? Our fighting, condemning, and slandering our brothers and sisters in Christ is often sending a message to the world that there is nothing miraculous going on in the church. We need to be very careful what we are saying to the watching world by how we treat and talk about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And who are our brothers and sisters? Those who agree with us on every single issue? (laughs) How about those who ascribe to the same political agenda we do or have the same theological bent as us? Of course, we know that's not the case, but that is how we act sometimes, isn't it? We automatically feel a connection with people who think and um, act the same way as we do, even if they have nothing to do with Jesus. And we also often avoid people who think differently than us on the world's stage, even if they worship the same God as we do. But that is not the criterion that the Bible gives for unity. The Bible says that we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family in God, because we have the most important thing in common even if we see lesser things differently. So I do want to pause here for just a minute and talk to those of you who are not yet part of the body of Christ. Maybe you're here because you want to find out more about Jesus. Or maybe you're here because a friend invited you to hear a compelling message by Pastor Josh. Sorry about that. Come back next week for that one, though. His messages are really, really good. Um, But I want you to know that if you're just checking out church, you are welcome here. Sunday mornings are a great time to come see what church is all about. And we would love for you to join our family. But that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the way into the kingdom of God. And it is his desire that all would come to him and be united to him and to his family. So back to our text. We're all kind of left wondering, was Jesus' prayer answered? Well, the answer to that is complicated. Yes and no. This is a generational prayer. It must be wrestled with in every time and place. We first saw an answer shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection. We read this about the early church in Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. You see, the early church knew 
that putting their faith in Jesus meant that they were going to be different. They were going to have to stick together and be united. And this is the ideal, right? The church was off to a great start. So what happened? Well, all we have to do is move forward just a few pages to Acts 15, and we can see that the early church also started arguing over theological differences. So we're not going to go too far into this part of scripture today, but you can read about it on your own. Um, but basically, the early church um, was in disagreement because the Jewish believers were condemning the non-Jewish believers for not following Jewish law. Specifically, they were not getting circumcised. So we can't really make light of this because this issue was obviously very important to the Jews, right? They firmly believed that this was a critical issue based on their own history with God. But it was also very important to the non-Jewish believers as well, right? So very similar to us today, a lot of the views that we hold are very important to us. But what happened was these Jewish Christians took their eyes off the most important thing. And that was that they were united through Christ. Later, Paul had to write to the Galatian church about this same issue, and he reminded them of this. He said, there's no longer Jew or Greek, and there's no longer slave or free. In fact, there's no male or female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. He's not saying we don't have our own identities, but he's saying that our identity of being one in Christ supersedes all of those other things. So how do we in Boise, Idaho in 2023 get back to the most important thing? How do we lean into the revealed will of God and pursue Christian unity? Well, I'm glad you asked. We are going to talk about four ways that we can do that here and now. Okay, number one is unite with Christ. Unity is supernatural work. We can definitely not do this on our own. Paul says in Galatians that when you were baptized into Christ, you actually put on Christ. So I will ask those of you who are here, have you put on Christ? The greatest act of unity ever accomplished is the unity that we have with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So if you have not been reconciled with God through Jesus, I want to encourage you to put your faith and hope in him today. You can talk to one of our pastors after the service or our prayer team, which will be down here, if you want to talk to someone or if you want to pray with someone about this. Or you can pray on your own. You can surrender your life to Christ, be reconciled with God, and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. But once you've done this, or if you are already a believer, then we need to lean in to Paul's advice in Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So there is one God and there is one body and we need to make every effort, friends. Paul says here that there is one hope. 
So what is our hope in? The systems of the world or Jesus? So in this prayer for unity, right before it, in John 17, also Jesus says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. This is where we get that saying, in the world, but not of the world. I like this saying, actually. But I think sometimes we hear it so often that we don't even really stop to think about what it means. So the real question with this backdrop, then, is who are we more united with? The world or the body of Christ? Yes, we live in the world, but the Bible tells us that we live here only as foreigners. Our citizenship is actually in heaven, and our allegiance is to King Jesus and to his body, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So now I am going to say something that will probably upset some of you. And so I want you to know that if you want to talk about this further, you can email me anytime at josh at hillcityboise.org. Okay. He would love to talk to you guys about this stuff. Um, Okay, there is an election year coming up next year, and it's probably going to be pretty contentious, isn't it? So if your hope is in the next political leader, whatever side you are on, your affections are going to be drawn away from Jesus and his body. Because you will have brothers and sisters in Christ who will vote very differently than you on things that you feel very passionate about. James, the brother of Jesus, has told us that quarrels and fights are caused by desires within us that we try to get fulfilled by someone or something other than God. So if our hope is in political agendas or financial agendas or social agendas, we will not be united. This is very serious. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that you cannot care about politics or social issues. Of course, everyone is going to have opinions on these things. But as believers, what I'm saying is that cannot be where our hope is. Our hope must be in Jesus Christ. And we know that the outcome of putting our hope in Jesus will be unity. So number two is this, expect differences. If we are all putting our hope in Christ, does that mean we will be the same? Definitely not. Unity does not mean uniformity. The Bible is clear that we are to be united while being faithful to our unique call. What if every key on your key ring was the same? What would be the point of having 10 of the same keys, right? Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, 
but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And then he goes on to say that it is actually God who arranges the different parts of the body as he chooses, and that it takes all kinds of parts to form a body. You guys have heard this before, right? That I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. We need to honor the differences in each other as essential expressions of the same spirit that is living in us. So how then do we deal with the differences that we are going to have while keeping unity in the body of Christ? Well, it starts with humility. We need to have the same mind as Christ. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus came in human form and humbled himself. And we need to have that same stance as well. It is okay to have convictions, especially doctrinal convictions, right? We can even be passionate about them. But we need to be careful not to condemn others or hurl insults at those who think differently. So I'm going to show you something quickly today that I learned in seminary that might actually help us here. So we have convictions about certain things in the church, and we can look at these convictions through a three-tiered system. And if you love alliteration, this is a little gift for you this morning. We can call these die for, divide for, and decide for categories. So the top tier issue, we will call this the die for category. And what do you think is in this category? Probably not very much, right? These are the essentials of the Christian faith. Things like Jesus is the son of the living God. These are things that you would literally die before denying. The problem comes in when we put other things in this tier one category. So the next tier, tier two, these are things that are still important, but we can stay united even if we think differently on them. We might say we won't die on this hill. We call this the divide for category, and I'm not a huge fan of that name because it can be confusing. We don't want to actually divide over these things. We want to stay unified, but we might divide in terms of how we operate. These are church distinctives, the kinds of things that you would be looking at when deciding on a local church. There would be things like church governance, or how we handle baptism, or how we handle spiritual gifts. This is not to say that a church would be wrong if they thought differently than you like on how to handle baptism, but you want to be in alignment with leadership of the church that you're going to so that the church can operate peaceably. Because it just doesn't work to hold sometimes two things together, right? Like, if we hold to a baptism of confessing believers but also hold to baptism of infants. That just doesn't work, right? So we have to divide for how we operate. But we stay unified for the important things, like seeking out the lost and caring for the poor. Does that make sense? We refuse to divide the body of Christ, even when we operate differently. So the third tier is the easiest one, and we can call this one decide for. These are things that maybe you would say, I align enough to go to this church, but I really see this issue differently than you. I would say that most, probably 90% of the problems that we have in the church today actually should be in this category 
these are things that don't really matter in light of eternity. So we can decide for something, but we can hold it with humility, seeking to understand where other people are coming from instead of insisting on our own way. These are things like style of worship music, whether communion is bread and wine or cracker and juice, or even the things that we've already talked about today, like political and social issues. But the problem comes in when we make a tier three issue, a divide for, or even a die for issue. We need to keep the main things the main things. So that is only two ways so far, and we are going to quickly look at just a couple of more ways that we can stay unified. There is so much in the scripture about unity, you could spend an entire week researching this topic. Number three is that we need to love the family of believers. If we want to obey Jesus' call to unity, then we need to love the way that he told us to love. So we are all familiar probably with the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, right? You had it at your wedding? All right. So let's refresh our memories really quick. So Paul says to love others, we need to be patient, kind, we need to bear all things, and we need to endure all things. We can do that, right? That's not that hard. (laughs) But let me tell you what is hard. The list of things that are not loving. It's longer, and it's a lot more painful. These things are not loving. Jealousy. Boasting, rudeness, arrogance, resentment, irritability, ouch, Um, insisting on our own way. How are we doing with this list, friends? It is fine to hold beliefs on various issues, but we need to be careful how we hold them. Not arrogantly, not insisting on our own way. Paul says here that that is not love. There's one more. This one's the most painful. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So are our words building others up, or are we distracting from the gospel by slandering our brothers and sisters in Christ? Our culture is very polarized right now, and you can name an issue and everybody is taking sides, and that's okay. But we need to be careful that we're not throwing verbal grenades on the other side when we have brothers and sisters in that camp. Paul says we are to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, slander, and every form of malice. And instead, we are to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. These things are not easy. And actually, they're impossible if we don't have the Holy Spirit. But thankfully, we do. Which brings us to our final thought for today. The final thing we need to do is pray for unity. So Jesus wanted unity, right? So he didn't get up here and preach a sermon. He prayed a prayer. And I wonder sometimes how often this important aspect of our lives even comes up in our prayers. This is something so important to the heart of God. And we want to be praying his will. So Jesus' final prayer for us before he would go to Gethsemane 
and asked the father to take the cup from him in tears and sweating blood and then go onto his arrest and be crucified for sins that he did not commit on our behalf. His final prayer for us is that we would be one. Shouldn't that be our prayer as well? Pray that you would love your brothers and sisters in Christ so that the world will know that Jesus is the Son of God and that he loves us. Would you bow your heads with me and we can pray for this now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy in reconciling us to you through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Now, as Jesus prayed on our behalf that we would be one just as you are one, would you help us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? The whole family of believers who are united through the Holy Spirit dwelling in each of us. Forgive us, Lord, for putting our hope in other things or other people causing quarrels and disunity. Help us to remember that our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that the whole world will know that Jesus is the Son of God and that you love us even as you loved him. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.